Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Alex Hoyer. There's a sharp division in American politics, and the discourse surrounding it seems more polarizing than ever. A day-long symposium is happening tomorrow at the University of Missouri-St. Louis. It's titled, Being a Change Agent in a Divided Nation, Building Power in Media and Across Party Lines. The keynote speaker is national conservative commentator Bill Kristol. I'll talk with him in a moment, but first I'm joined by the symposium's keynote respondent, Sarah Kensier. She's a St. Louis-based journalist, author, and podcast host. I spoke with her yesterday afternoon. Welcome, Sarah. Oh, thank you for having me. I was having a conversation with some colleagues the other day, and uh, I had the theory, I said, that I think that Sarah Kensier is the most famous person living in St. Louis now who's not a musician or athlete. And I think that goes to say that you're everywhere these days. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's not, not a good thing for America, but <laughs> yeah, that's true. And for people who may not follow you on Twitter, you have a large uh, Twitter following and, and you have a podcast now. Uh, you're often on MSNBC. What's it like just doing all these things? Um, I mean, you know, the, the reasons that I'm doing these things are, are not good reasons. You know, my, my focus and expertise has been uh, authoritarianism worldwide and also the collapse of institutions in the U.S., um, you know, which I studied the first uh, as a, you know, get, while I was getting my Ph.D. at Washington University in anthropology. And uh, the rest I studied locally as a journalist um, studying, you know, basically the decline of the U.S. And the fact that I'm in demand for these topics is really not a good sign um, for you know where we are as a country in terms of my life, um, you know it's obviously very chaotic. Uh, there's a lot of breaking news. Um, there's a lot of difficult topics to handle. But um, you know I live in U City. I'm a mom. I do all the normal St. Louis stuff that other people do. And in, in that sense, you know I try to kind of keep things low key and just uh, focus on the work. The title of the event tomorrow is Being a Change Agent in a Divided Nation. What does that mean to you? Gosh, I mean, at this point, it's really hard to say. <laughs> if you had asked me a month ago, if you had asked me a year ago, I don't know. Um, you know, because we're going through an incredibly tumultuous time. We're going in a time where we have an administration that challenges the very idea of truth, um, that puts forth the theory of alternative facts, that promotes a culture of lawlessness. We have, um, you know, a divided time that I think has always been there. It's certainly been there my entire life um, in terms of severe, um, you know, partisan rancor in terms of, uh, you know, racial and ethnic, I don't even want to say divide, I should say just systemic racism, systemic xenophobia. Um, you know, these problems have been more in focus uh, because of Trump, because his administration has openly embraced uh, racism, xenophobia, um, and, you know, very brutal practice practices uh, against the most marginalized um, U.S. citizens. But that's always been our history, um, you know, and so it's sometimes I think it's a matter of, you know, how do we survive this era? How do we process this era? How do we keep our heads on straight? Um, and, you know, when we're bombarded with propaganda and lies and corruption, uh, not only, you know, see the truth, but look toward the future, you know, try to envision a future beyond that. Um, and I do see people trying to do that, um, you know, from all different parts of the country. And I think St. Louis has always been kind of uh, um, ahead of the game in terms of national trends, both for, for better and for worse. Um, you know, we certainly saw a lot of movement um, in terms of, uh, you know, the Ferguson activist movement against police brutality um, and, you know, trying to 
put an end to systemic racism. We saw fringe movements emerge with uh, the rise of the Tea Party, in which St. Louis played a very central role. So we're, we've always been this kind of, uh, you know, petri dish for what becomes a national problem. And of course, we had, uh, you know, Eric Greitens uh, representing mm -hmm. the uh, institutionalized corruption end of things. So yeah, um, it's an interesting place uh, to be a journalist right now. Uh, it was before, but um, yeah, I mean, every day seems to bring about a year's worth of news. So in terms of like change, uh, we've had we've had quite a lot of change uh, and not a, a lot of it in a good direction. And being a so-called change agent isn't necessarily about agreeing with uh, someone who may think differently than you. Sometimes it can mean kind of digging in and really standing up for what your principles are. Yeah, I mean, I that's what I've been trying to kind of recommend broadly to people as they've asked me for advice over the last few years is to not let go of your individuality, of your dignity, of your ability to see things for what they are, uh, to not obey in advance, and to not assume that everyone needs to act the same or have the same solutions or, you know, do the same things uh, to protest, you know, what many people see as, uh, you know, a violent, lawless and corrupt regime. I think that uh, diversity and approach is our strength. And I also think every region is different. Every city is different. Every person is different. You know, we all bring different skills and abilities and attributes to the table. We all have different limitations. So I don't think there's an easy solution to this. And, you know, a lot of people get frustrated with me when I when I say that, because they want to think there's going to be some magical cure. You know, mm -hmm. you definitely saw this in the last uh, week with the disappointment um, over the Barr report, you know, Barr's write-up of the Mueller report that we haven't seen, where people thought, you know, Mueller is going to take them all down, They're, you know, or they thought Pelosi in the blue wave is going to take them all down. These are deep systemic problems um, that will require, I think, you know, a lot of people to rise up and confront them in different ways. And, you know, and I hope people um, don't lose them themselves in like in the horror of the moment that we're living in. I hope people continue, you know, to be strong and to see straight and to fight not just for themselves, but fight for the most vulnerable in their community. I think if everybody was doing that, if everyone was looking out for people uh, worse off than themselves, we would actually manage to get somewhere in combating this. Do you think it is the case that common ground has to be found? Um, I think that it's, you know, when I see common ground in terms of everyone being exactly on the same page all the time, I think of the dictatorships that I studied, you know, as a PhD student. I spend a lot of time studying countries like Uzbekistan, where, you know, 95% of people would vote for the president, and it was a magical uh, distillation of the people's will. I mean, common ground in that sense uh, is not a good thing. The common ground in that sense freaks me out. Um, I think that having a country where we can all speak our mind, where we can have a, a diversity of views and approaches where we don't necessarily agree on things, but we can agree on core values. We can agree, um, hopefully, on moral values, that it's better to not hurt people, to not abuse people, that when people are down on their luck, uh, we should try to help them back up. Um, and also that I think in particular, we need to think about power, um, because what we're seeing right now is a rampant abuse of power. We're seeing an administration in, in that what feels- ways? Well, they feel like they're above the law. We've seen not just Trump, but his entire cohort of criminals uh, committing crimes in plain sight, not being arrested for those crimes. You know, an example of this would be uh, basically everything Jared Kushner, who should not be in the White House anyway, has done since taking office. Uh, we've seen people like, um, you know, Flynn working as a national security advisor 
while trying to, you know, illicitly sell nuclear material, plot kidnappings, just walking away with plea bargains. We don't have accountability. We don't have transparency. Uh, we have incredible corruption, and we've always had corruption. In many ways, this era is just an extension of Watergate, of Iran-Contra, of the illegal war in Iraq, of the financial crisis for which you know nobody is adequately punished. When you don't bring consequences to those sorts of powerful actors, you end up in the position that we're in right now. So in many ways, this was predictable. But when you have somebody like Trump, who has this flagrant disregard for law, you know this you know anti-American attitude, absolutely no interest in serving the public good, then you're in a real crisis. And I think part of the crisis has been refusing to admit that this is possible. You know that um, you know we don't necessarily have laws; we have norms. We don't have checks and balances unless we have people willing to uphold them. And many people, uh, particularly in the Republican Party, but not exclusively, are not willing to uphold those checks and balances and to bring accountability for the people. And the people is who this should be about. What do you think is the greatest threat to the country now? Oh, my God. There's so many things. Um, You know, broadly speaking, I would say kleptocracy and corruption. I think that Uh, Essentially, we have a transnational crime syndicate masquerading as a government. Uh, The crisis is not just about Trump. It's not just about Russia. It's about elite billionaires um, who have no interest in, you know, serving or protecting the people, essentially abusing power uh, to enhance their personal wealth. You know, Trump came in with the goal of stripping the U.S. down and selling it for parts. He basically put like a going out of business sale on the White House lawn, you know, in, in reference to his America. And that's how he's operated his whole life. Like that shouldn't have surprised anybody. And I'm not sure it did. Um, what did take people back was the refusal of, uh, you know, the Republican Party of uh, various, you know, intelligence agencies of anybody who has power or leverage to control the situation. Because now we see these very shady international partnerships forming uh, between not just Trump and Putin, but Trump, Putin, um, you know, MBS in Saudi Arabia, Erdogan in Turkey you know, an access of autocrats forming. Uh, and that is, you know, a, a catastrophic for the future of democracy, for the reliability of democracy in the United States. Uh, and it also impacts our daily life. It affects our economy, our healthcare. It affects the policies that are passed with an re- administration that's um, this sadistic. I think you see this most acutely in uh, immigration and the treatment of migrants, um, you know, at the border, especially children, you know, who are, who are taken from their parents and sexually assaulted. I mean, we have so many uh, crises, but I do think at the heart of it is is corruption. And if you clamp down on corruption, if you actually bring accountability, um, then you prevent this abuse of power from being as pervasive and as brutal as it's been thus far. At this event tomorrow, you're billed as the keynote respondent to conservative Bill Kristol. What is there to respond to, do you think? Well, I'm curious what he's going to say. I mean, Mm -hmm. this has been a very tumultuous week uh, nationally, especially for anyone who, uh, you know, opposes the Trump administration. And generally speaking, Bill Kristol is not somebody who I've seen eye to eye with on anything. You know, as I was laying out before all these various crises in American history, um, you know, crises of corruption, Bill Kristol was there cheering a lot of these on, you know, the war in Iraq, uh, the rise of national figures like Sarah Palin in in the Tea Party that enabled somebody like Trump to come to the fore. Uh, Bill Kristol helped create, you know, he's basically the frame. (laughs) 
Frankenstein that helped create a Frankenstein's monster. And I appreciate that he does call out Trump. And he's been very consistent about that, despite right. receiving- He has been a critic of, of President Trump. Yeah. And we're going to hear from uh, from Bill Crystal in a moment. Yeah, like a very, you know, uh, a consistent critic, an inaccurate critic. Uh, and we need that, you know. Um, we need more of that, certainly, from the Republican side. Uh, but I think we need to look deeply at the structural conditions that allowed Trump to rise. Um, you know, think about the role that people played in them. I mean, in my mind, you know, he, he's done the right thing. Uh, I don't think he did before. He is now. Uh, that's good. Uh, hopefully others on, you know, the Republican side will join him. So why do you think it is that many people on the Republican side don't challenge the president? Oh, there's a lot of reasons. Um, well, I think a lot of them are complicit, uh, intentionally or not, in his crimes. You know, you have to remember, Michael Cohen was the deputy finance uh, chairman of the Republican National Committee. They are flowing with dark money. They are flowing with uh, mafia money. You know, we live in Missouri. We're in the dark money capital of the U.S., so we know how this goes. You know, you can become contaminated just by association. Um, I also think, you know, we're seeing a culture of fear and threats. We see how Trump um, bullies and threatens and bribes and blackmails, you know, everybody who gets into his way, including people in the Republican Party. We've seen Republicans like Lindsey Graham, you know, who came out swinging against Trump, do a complete 180 after, you know, taking a little golf trip. And we don't know exactly why. Um, and then on top of that, you see, you know, the usual things that uh, propel politicians, careerism, opportunism, greed. Uh, but I think that we have a, a darker situation. Uh, you know, when I look at how the Republicans are behaving toward Trump, it reminds me of the supplicants I would see in authoritarian states, you know, the people who would uniformly clap for the great leader, who were afraid to come out and criticize or condemn him. And I think that there's more at stake than just careerism, because you see, you've also seen a wave of retirements. You've seen people like Paul Ryan, you know, very prominent national Republicans uh, quitting. And I think they're quitting because they're afraid. They don't want to be stuck in this morass. They're afraid uh, possibly for their safety. I don't, you know... I don't like Paul Ryan, but I don't think anybody should be uh, threatened to that degree where they, you know, they feel their ability to even uh, participate in politics is uh, completely compromised. Do you think that the underpinnings of our democratic republic are still strong? Um, to an extent, I think people have had a nasty wake up in how much, uh, you know, the strength of our democracy relies on norms instead of laws. Um, they're now getting a wake up in how laws can be rewritten uh, if a aspiring autocrat enters power. You know, they can purge agencies, they can pack courts, they can remove the good actors who are holding us together as a country uh, from positions of power. But I think underneath that, uh, you know, you, we do have a country that has a rigorous tradition of freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, a free press, you know, those things don't go away overnight. Um, it's just, it's a very, it's a very difficult time. It's a time where people have to, um, you know, try to stay strong, not lose sight of their values, not lose sight of, you know, what kind of America they want to have, not just in terms of preserving, um, you know, the best elements of the past, but, you know, trying to remedy historic wrongs and look toward the future. Uh, I think there's nothing wrong with thinking big right now. You know, if we're going to be in a time of chaos, you know, might as well aim high, you know, and really try to um, get at these deep structural issues that helped create the crisis that we're in now. And finally, Sarah Kenzior, uh, tell me about your podcast. 
Oh, it's called Gaslit Nation. Uh, it comes out usually on Wednesdays. My co-host is Andrea Chalupa, um, who's a writer and um, filmmaker who specializes in Ukraine. Um, I was, you know, somebody who specialized in Uzbekistan. We've also both specialized in U.S. politics. So what we do is look at uh, corruption in the Trump administration and the rise of autocracy worldwide and, you know, just analyze uh, current events and, and global trends. Sarah Kanzier, thanks so much for your time today. Oh, thank you for having me. Sarah Kenzier is a St. Louis-based journalist, author, and frequent guest on MSNBC. She'll be keynoting a symposium tomorrow at UMSL along with Bill Crystal. Crystal is a conservative commentator as well as founder and editor-at-large of the Weekly Standard, and he joins me by phone. Welcome. Uh, good to be with you. So you're a Republican. We had on Sarah Kenzier. We just heard from her. And uh, you are a Republican who has been a critic of of the president at times. And uh, at this point, I'm just curious of what your take is on politics at the moment. Uh, it's confusing a little bit for someone like me who's been almost a lifelong Republican and really can't support the president and can't really support a Republican party that supports this president. I would like to liberate the Republican Party from President Trump and save it because I think it's a, you know, it's contributed quite a lot to American life and it would be better for the country to have two healthy political parties and and the one that I have some influence in maybe a tiny bit is the Republican Party. So it's a time, uh, it's a big, you know, it's a big battle ahead to try to uh, save the Republican Party from Trump and from Trumpism. There are many Americans who, of course, support the president and uh, many Republican leaders who do not challenge the president, although uh, some Republicans have at times. And I'm curious as to why you think that more Republicans uh, aren't in the same boat as you and are willing to challenge the president. Yeah, I think there should be more. I think it's a combination of things. Elected officials have their own set of incentives and uh, intellectuals are good at rationalizing things. And, you know, obviously Trump has done uh, some things that a lot of conservatives are pleased with. And in, in 2016, they didn't like the alternative of Hillary Clinton. So there are plenty of reasons to rationalize a kind of reluctant acceptance of Trump. I, I wasn't there, but I can understand why friends of mine and people I respect, you know, decided to vote for him in 2016, decided to, to you know, work with him on a lot of issues. Obviously, if you're a member of Congress, you almost have to do that. Uh, that's one thing. But it, it, what I can't really fathom is the rationalization, the, the, pretend, the let's pretend that he's, you know, actually a man of good character. Let's pretend that his leadership is is healthy for the country let's pretend that he's not exacerbating racial and ethnic divisions and being a demagogue that that i think has really been unfortunate the degree to which so many people including intellectuals even on the right have just decided to go all in with trump mm -hmm. as the keynote speaker at the symposium what is the message that you're hoping to bring you know i really think it's almost a cliche but we just need to have a civic discourse, civil and civic discourse in this country. It's awfully important. We've taken it for granted for a long time. We've had our demagogues. We've had our, uh, you know, bouts of violence occasionally. We've had a lot of terrible things happen in this country. But we've also benefited hugely from having two political parties that uh, understood that at times they had to work together, that understood that not every election is a war, that you have to treat your political opponents as opponents, not as enemies and so forth. I mean, this is why American democracy has had a pretty good century over the last century, and a lot of others made a lot of progress in a lot of areas and been pretty stable. Uh, the country you know, has benefited. Uh, that's why a lot of other countries, uh, by contrast with a lot of other countries that haven't had those benefits, I really fear that we're going to a European, towards a European or almost a Latin American type situation where you've got a 
a conservative party that's kind of nativist, intolerant, xenophobic, authoritarian, and a party on the left that also doesn't respect some of the norms of uh, perhaps we'll see of, of liberal democracy. It also doesn't understand that markets work to make uh, you know the people much much better off, and, and and that American strength is important in the world, American leadership. So I think it's plenty to worry about in both parties. The Republican Party is is the one that's more in crisis right now. It's got the president, it's got the Senate, uh, and really having a president who's a demagogue that is something we have not experienced in modern American history. And it's, uh, it's putting strain on our institutions. I mentioned that we'd uh, spoken with Sarah Kenzier, and, and uh, one of the things she said is, uh, quote, generally speaking, Bill Kristol is not somebody who I've seen eye to eye with on anything. The war in Iraq, the rise of national figures like Sarah Palin and the Tea Party that enabled somebody like Trump to come to the fore. Bill Kristol helped create, uh, he's basically the Frankenstein that helped create a Frankenstein's monster, and, end quote. And I'm curious what your reaction is to that. I think it's not correct. I mean, she's, of course, perfectly welcome to disagree with me on particular policies and issues. But uh, I think Trump is pretty unique. There were elements, of course, in the Republican Party that Trump exploited. I fought a lot of those elements over the years, whether it's Pat Buchanan or Ron Paul or nativism on immigration. Uh, So I I think I have a pretty good record of standing up to extremism. Um, Obviously, you can never prove that one thing doesn't lead to another, but the Republican Party in 2013, 14, 15 didn't look like this kind of party. Paul Ryan didn't, one wouldn't have expected that Paul Ryan would go down this path or accede to this path. Uh, Mitt Romney and John McCain, the two most recent candidates, George W. Bush before him, weren't Trump kind of Republicans. So I don't really buy the argument that, you know, the whole Republican Party was corrupt to the core and always was, and and Trump is the inevitable outcome of that. I think you can always find strains and strands uh, about which that's true, but but I think it's mostly not true. You mentioned the need for civic dialogue. Beyond dialogue, what are some actionable steps that people can take to perhaps bridge divides? I think encourage you know members of Congress to work together, and and that would same would be true at the state and, uh, and local level, and reward those who do, and punish electorally those who don't. Um, work on different issues. Uh, civic uh, citizens have to be involved, obviously, and this is a great moment where I think we've seen the strength of a lot of our civic institutions. By contrast, Washington, which is pretty broken, and and the presidency, which is very broken, in my opinion. Uh, but it's not as if the country's falling apart. So the civic sector, the not-for-profit sector, the business sector, universities, churches, I mean, lots of institutions are, I think, rising it, 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 to some degree to the challenge today. And that's a great thing, even more important, perhaps, than if our politics were healthier. So I think citizens uh, have plenty of uh, uh, you know, spaces in which they can really do some good for their fellow citizens uh, and for the country. And in politics, I would say it's very important to... I think not be passive, not be fatalistic. Really, uh, you know, speak up for what you uh, believe and work work for what you believe. That's conservative commentator Bill Kristol, who, along with Sarah Kenzier, will be keynoting a symposium tomorrow at UMSL called "Being a Change Agent in a Divided Nation." A link to the event and registration is on our website at stlpublicradio.org. The event is hosted by UMSL and Focus St. Louis, with support from St. Louis Public Radio and HEC TV. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Alex Hoyer. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.